0: Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry.
1: This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket.
2: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I'm being joined by The guys from Pittsburgh Power, we've got Bruce and John today. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, troubleshooting, upgrades, modifications, electrical, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask your question. We're going to get to those questions in just a little bit. We're going to see what Bruce and John have to talk about today. Hey, welcome, guys. Well, thank you, Kevin, for having us. Well, great to have you back, Bruce. We've missed you.
3: <laughs> yeah, Hi, Kevin, was, good uh, to be here. I was out of cell phone coverage for two weeks. It just happened to fall on the day.
2: Yeah, well, you know, sometimes it's good to be out of cell phone coverage. I finally took two days off and didn't have <laughs> my computer and turned off my phone, and uh, I feel a whole lot better now. Sometimes you need
3: the mental break. But uh, Ethan and I were talking the other day, and Ethan said we were talking about ECMs, and he said it's not that easy. And he said a lot of the problems that we see in these older ECMs are pretty hard to fix. And he wants me to title my next article, It's not that easy and you can't always fix all ECMs in one day. Furthermore, people hear us talking on the radio show that yes, you send it in, we get it that morning, most of the time it goes out that afternoon back to you, but you have to call our shop and get on the schedule. And we have to make sure that your schedule and our schedule coincide Because keep in mind, a lot of times there's 14 trucks in the shop and 10 of them need electrical work. And we have to take care of the trucks that are in the shop because those drivers did take the time to come there and make an appointment. And uh, the reason I'm saying this is we had a gentleman send his ECM in from the West Coast and we weren't able to get to it until the next day. He called. He did not have an order number. He called and said, my ECM will be there shortly. I need it back tomorrow. Well, we weren't (laughs) able to get to it. I mean, we cut us a break, people. Uh, it, It takes time and things have to go on a schedule. If you call a doctor and say, or just show up at a doctor's door or your dentist's door and say, hey, I'm here. I got a toothache and he has a full schedule it's the same thing with our business things have to be on a schedule you have to call and get an order number and get on our schedule so that we can make sure that we can try to get all these done in one day sometimes it takes two days to do an ECM
2: you know Thinking about that, as, as you were just saying that, Ethan, saying these older ECMs can, can be hard. Well, let's think about this for a minute. An ECM is just a computer, right? Well, yeah, basically. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, okay. It, so, you know, I'm heavily into computers, have been for a very long time. I very seldom let my computer get to be more than three years old. I mean, they just don't work well after. And I know there's not; it's not a apples to apples comparison because we have our computers do all kinds of things and they get loaded up with junk. But there's some similarities here. I mean, I I was just looking at. I have multiple computers for all the things I do, and I was looking at one of my laptops and I checked the uh, you know what model year it was, and it was a 2013, and I, I'm ready to get rid of it because. I'm, I'm struggling to keep it working the way I want it to work. And we're talking about ECMs that are 15, 20 years old sometimes now. That's right. And they do accumulate
3: a lot of information. When we're looking yeah. at the ECM, we actually look at a diary of how you are driving.
2: Yeah, so it, it's actually pretty amazing that we keep these things working that long that's that's correct
3: so anyway that's what i wanted to say john do you have anything
4: um a couple of things uh pete's joining us he i, I was here solo i thought i was going to be solo and i paged pete and he said he'd come join us for the show so pete's joined on right now uh, i'd like him to tell him tell, tell the guys about the uh our low flow to high flow uh conversion we've had some uh of our own. We were able to get some raw castings from Cummins for some of the parts, and we had them machined up on our own, so we've got stuff for that in stock now. Um, I don't know how many listeners that applies to, but it's still a little bit of news and something on, on that front. Uh, aside from that, no, I don't have anything new this week. Um, we just finished up a, uh, another VB conversion on a Series 60 Detroit uh, we, we've got another one waiting to do, waiting to go. So, uh, looking for more results like we've got from Steve Krohn's, um, we've actually downed the horsepower on that a little bit from what we were doing initially. And we seem to be getting a little more longevity from the turbo and seems to be, have improved the, uh, fuel mileage. But, uh, you know, the, the lower settings are, I think we're down around 400 on the lowest and four and a half or 475 in the middle and 550 on the top. And that seems to uh, work really well. But uh, so we've got one we just finished up and another one uh, waiting to come in. So that's uh, that, that's getting better and better. Uh, if any listeners interested with a Series 60 that want to give it a little bit of modern technology on there, that would be uh, would be interesting. But uh, that's about it. Hey,
3: John? Yeah. John, was that horsepower number to the ground or flywheel?
4: Oh, no, that's to the ground. That's to the ground, Bruce.
3: Okay. It's
4: still strong. So we Don't get me, me wrong. But we were at
3: 550. 550 to the ground is still 650. Flywheel horsepower, so it's still a very strong engine.
4: Oh, really strong, yes. And and the torque curve is much flatter with the VG. Uh, the the horsepower number could be uh, somewhat deceiving. Uh, you could actually pull the thing down to a 1100 rpm like a like a modern engine now. Not that you want to pull it down that far, but we make torque the whole way down to there. So it's a much flatter torque curve. So it's a whole whole different animal, even though we're. You know, we've we've dropped the horsepower number a little bit from where we were, we still have the torque and we still have the flat torque curve.
2: So you're uh you're you're finding the peak of that bell curve, huh?
4: We're working on it. We're just making it fatter.
2: You know, we're we're uh, yeah. but we're
4: flattening know. the we're flattening the peak a little bit there. <laughs>
5: yeah.
4: But you're Yep. So we were over we were over the other side of it for a little while there and now we're now we're back in front of it.
3: There we need go. to get but, Kevin uh, to drive one of those. Kevin, you need to drive one of those for with a loaded trailer on it for about 100 miles. to Feel it. The 12 with yeah, the I, variable geometry turbo.
4: Like, seriously, they to. make power like a big cat. I mean, it makes power like a C-16 now. It's really, really pretty amazing wow. what it does. Wow.
2: That's impressive.
4: Yep. So we uh, yeah, have that going on and uh, Kevin, did you get my, uh, my email on the, uh, the plasma thing?
2: I did. I haven't had time to really dig into that though. I, I want to, cause that really looks interesting. It, it's really cool. Um, it's uh back of truck
4: and yeah, the biggest benefits are going to be back of truck and uh, trailer gap. And uh, with the yeah. energized air, it does, does change the direction of it. I've, uh, since done a little more research on it, and there's some really neat stuff, uh, some really cool wind tunnel testing that, uh, that shows how it works and what it does. And it, uh, it really does redirect the air without much surface area, without a very big uh, part there, utilizing the, the electrons in the air to, to uh, basically create surface tension in the air. It makes the air basically thickens it up, shall we say. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's really, really interesting the way it works. And uh oh, that's yeah, good. so we'll see trucks going down the road with a purple- glow, purple glow coming off the back and the sides uh, sometime soon i think
2: that that's wild, so I, I need to dig into that uh wait one other thing uh little off topic, but something you and I follow, and we've been talking about a lot um Tesla's finally shipping power walls cool, yeah, I still want to so- hang one on a truck. I know. I do, too. And, you know, that when they announced, I think it was over two years ago, it was at the CMC over two years ago, uh, because I remember talking about it, and it was right when they announced. And I put my name on the list then, and I finally just got an email this week saying, if I want my Powerwall, um, they'll ship it, and... They are also installing some versions of their solar roof. Some of them won't be available till uh, early 2018, I think. Certain styles. Have you ever seen their solar roofs?
4: It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, I followed that pretty closely.
2: Yep, they are stunning. I mean, the look of them is just incredible. Um, you know, they had originally talked about it wouldn't cost any more than a standard roof. And I thought that's just not possible. Um, they they do a lot of manipulation of numbers to, to kind of come up with that. And it's really over <laughs> a 30 because um, I, I finally part of the email is I got access to a calculator. And it. I mean, the, the, I have a pretty big house now because we're building a uh, bed and breakfast so it's a little over 6,000 square feet but the cost of the roof on my house would be Um, $97,000 that's a little expensive but yeah let me get to a break we'll come back we'll talk about that and so much more and we'll get to your calls and questions as well stick around Kevin Rutherford we'll be right back Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Peach joining us this week as well. We're going to get to your calls and questions in just a little bit. We're talking about uh, Tesla's Power Wall, which I am interested in possibly for my house, but more so for the coach and for a truck application. Uh, So now that they're actually shipping those things, maybe I can get some answers about you know, is it even possible that they're built to stand up to what, what they're going to take on the road? That was my, you know, biggest concern. Uh, it would seem to me, like, since Tesla has been building cars and that's how they built this battery technology, that that it would be fairly likely that this battery technology should be able to withstand some of the stuff on the road, but I haven't been able to get that answer yet. Um, yeah, they the, the way they do their numbers... Um, they're using one, the tax credit, which for me would be pretty significant because I'd be spending so much money. Um, then they do the energy savings calculation. Uh, and after that, it would end up costing me like an additional $114 a month to have the solar roof and the power wall technology in the house And they claim I could run on just one power wall, I could run all the lights, all of the electrical outlets, and a refrigerator. And I could run that as though I were off the grid. I mean, that would be a continuous thing. Yeah. And you can add more power walls. I mean, I went all the way up to if I wanted to completely power a 6,000-square-foot building. Um, I could do it with the solar and five power walls. They said I, I would be off the grid.
4: Well, that's impressive. Yeah. So that, that power, you know, mounting it on the truck, the you know, vibrations are a solvable problem. We could build a little chassis that it sits in. You know, that either that either just attaches right to the back of the cab or come off the frame and something that looks like a headache rack. But we can put some, you know, shock absorption in there. There's plenty of plenty of ways we could uh, isolate that thing from the vibrations of the road. It uh, wouldn't wouldn't be a problem at all, and so that's uh, we could right. you know we could isolate from weather too. Did they stick to the original price? As I recall, they're about thirty five hundred bucks. Is that the
2: still what uh, it? Has was it gone up? I think it's closer to five now, but it's okay. twice the capacity of that original. the The new power oh, right. is twice okay. the capacity. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually okay. if you if you calculate it by available amp hours, it's cheaper than the original.
4: Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, that would work out. Yeah, well. but yeah, I can see that. I mean, to me, that's the that's the answer for all the accessories everybody wants to run and you know everything that they're, well, they're doing now. I mean, we get so we get so many trucks in the shop. First thing out of anyone's mouth is, hey, "Can you put on a battery charger while it's here?" I'll oh, put on a battery charger while it's here. They've got so much stuff running. You walk through the shop right. and you hear everybody's inverters beeping and stuff, and it's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. So there's they they try their they try their darndest to run off the batteries they have now. So. Um, you know, to me, if it were me, I'd at least do, you know, if not the power wall, I'd have a separate bank of batteries and that's what, that's what I'd run on overnight.
2: Well, you know, if you could solve the, the vibration issue and, and I don't think weather is an issue because I've seen it mounted outside the house. They also design it so you can mount it inside the house. It's, you know, a nice looking unit. It actually hangs on the wall. Um, I, I guess our only other issue is could we charge this thing? Again, there, that's a, that should
4: be, you know, that should be solvable. I mean, that's, uh, you know, yeah. we could, you know, aside from solar on the roof there, you know, in, in racing we use driveline um, mounted alternators quite often on cars. But okay. it would be really simple to do a driveline mounted uh, charging system that uh, the field wires are only charged when you're on the brakes or on the jake or something, you know. So it would be, you know, you could do a, a pseudo-regenerative uh, charging deal, you know, so you don't have the load. Uh, to keep it charged, you know, unless you're on the brakes or going, you know, going down hills and and use solar and, you know, if you have to, you could do a trickle charge while it's going down the road, so you don't suck up too much energy energy there. But some really efficient permanent magnet type uh, alternators and generators that uh, are really simple. And if uh, you know you don't charge the the, uh, the the electromagnets, the fields that they are zero load until you charge, until you you put some put some energy to that. So. I don't think that would be a problem at all. I, I really think that would be something that would be easily easily designed and, uh, and built.
2: You know, if I remember right, I'm going to go back, now that I know it's available, I'm going to go back, see what the numbers are on this newer version. But I, I did a bunch of numbers on the original version. And I think in order to get the same capacity, you would have had to have 12 um, really good deep cycle batteries. When you look at the complexity of trying to put 12 deep cycle batteries on a truck with cabling and room and weight and all the other problems, nobody's going to do it. Uh, And this was one simple figure out a way to mount it. You've got one set of cables going to it. It was actually cheaper than or they were really comparable. It was close depending on which model of battery you were buying, but it was about the same price as, as what you would have to buy in 12 deep cycle batteries to get the same capacity and if this new one is even higher um uh, that would be pretty incredible you know it sounds like you've already got it in in your head how you solve the vibration and the charging issues i'm not sure what would be left yeah i don't i don't know what would be either no i think i think we're good there yep yeah that that'd be pretty incredible the uh the apu manufacturers better better be paying attention <laughs> I'm not seeing many of those anymore. Are they selling like they used to? I don't think so. I I used to get tons of questions about them. And I was saying 10 years ago, I just don't think that's the answer. I mean, it it doesn't solve all the problems you think it's going to solve. And it gives you some new ones, especially when the market, you know, the the first round, the market got flooded with new models. Everybody was building APUs and most of them were just junk. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them I see here aren't uh, aren't so nice. I mean, it's often they need a belt or something. They're just hanging on the truck, uh, uh, taking up space
2: nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'll dive back into that and do some numbers on it and uh, maybe even see if I can get my hands on one since I'm on the list. Sounds good. So.
3: All right, do we All want right. to have Pete talk about the uh, conversion yeah. from low flow to high flow on a big cam Cummins? That's converting a big cam four back to a big cam three cooling system. Pete is an expert on that subject. How are you doing, Kevin?
2: Good, good to have you here.
6: Thanks. Yeah, we just sold another set today. Um, It's a little involved, it's a little pricey, but it eliminates the only problem the STC engine had, which is the low flow cooling. They had a tendency to run hot, and it was tough to keep them under control, even with a larger radiator. The cooling system was designed to warm up quickly, which helped emissions. But once it got hot, it can, could not cool itself back down. So we came up with a system to eliminate that. And there's some old parts from the older big cams you need, and then some new parts, uh, thermostat housing, manifold, uh, a change of water pump, and we keep all that stuff in stock. But to do this, the used parts run about a grand or so, depending on what you pay for the used parts, price of a radiator, and then the n- new parts you need to get from us is about two grand. And that's gaskets, O-rings, clamps, hoses, water pump, and the front uh, manifold section and thermostat housing. We sell probably 10 he, a
3: year. What, wasn't uh, our rad shop that we deal with at times, weren't they able to convert an existing low flow to a high flow cooling rad or do we have to completely yeah. replace it now?
6: No, if you have a good core, what they do is take the baffle out then block off the old hoses, which were an inch and a quarter. And the new ones are three inch on the bottom and I think two and a half on the top. So yeah, a good rad shop can save you a bunch of money by reusing your core. And, and the tanks.
3: Okay. But it does eliminate the problem that the big cam fours, and not just the STCs, but the 676 CPL was a victim of the low-flow cooling. The theory behind the low-flow cooling when it came out was to slow the flow of the coolant down in the radiator to make it run, to come out of the bottom cooler. Well, did that? Trouble is, it just wouldn't work in the summertime on steep mountains.
4: Or if you've so got any power at all to these trucks, right? If, right. They, if they, they were tra- stocked, tra- they were borderline. Like a, a
3: 1986 through 1990 truck with the Big cam Cummins, if you're redoing one, this is the option. That's, those are the years that had the Big cam 4.
2: Okay. I'm ready for questions. All right. Well, we're going to jump into a break, and then we are going to come back, and we're going to get right to the questions. So stick with us. We'll be right back with more stuff. We'll be getting to your calls and questions right after this break. Check out the website. It's Let'sTruck.com. Always something new and exciting going on over there. And uh, if you have not been joining us on our recordings... We want to do that as well. We record every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's 1 o'clock Eastern time. It's a phone number. You can find all the information on the website. Look under the audio road tab. You can sit and listen to the entire show while we're recording it on your phone. And it's always easier to get through with questions on our recorded shows than it is our live shows. So if you've been having a hard time getting through... This is your chance. Go to the website, check it out under the Audio Road tab, and join us on the recordings. Mondays are Broker Connect, Tuesdays are the Power Hour, Wednesdays are Destination Health. We'll be right back with your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Pete with me today, and we're going to get right to your calls and questions. We're going to start off today in Florida. Alan, welcome to the program.
7: Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I've got a question. What's on your mind, Tim? I've got a uh, glider in a car carrier. It's a little over a year old. I have a little over 100,000 miles on it. Uh, I talked to Kevin some time ago. I've been working really hard and got it up to almost consistently 5, 8 to 6, which I've been told is pretty good for a car carrier. So I uh, purchased the uh, power box and installed it. And within about a week, I started blowing antifreeze out the uh, radiator cap, which kind of concerned me a little bit. And then it got progressively worse. So at the end of the second week, I took it to my local Detroit shop and it's a Series 60 uh, DDAC-3. And uh, the, I'm just curious if the extra power, i run it on a one empty and a three loaded. That didn't change my driving habits. And the uh, head gasket, and ended up needing a new head actually, what they had to do. So I didn't know if if the extra power just caused it to surface, or if it was just a coincidence, or. Is there anything I should be concerned with uh, putting the box back on? I've run it for three weeks after I got it out of shop, and I've yet to put the box back on, just you know, to make sure my fuel mileage is where it was before I started. Well, just really, let me let
3: me let me say this: we have people that are running our larger injectors, plus the power box, plus the programmed ECM, and putting 800 plus horsepower out of a 12-7 Detroit and not having a head or a head gasket issue head gasket problems are caused by three things either a warped head a warped block or not enough liner protrusion and i would guess your problem is not enough liner protrusion so i put the box back on it if you had a head issue that means your head gasket was not the problem but it was the head Certainly, turn the uh-huh. box back on and run it between fire level one and three, and you should never have a problem. If you do, bring it to our shop, and we'll tell you what the engine builder did wrong whenever they built your engine. Okay. All
7: right. Well, I just thought I would check. The, uh, the protrusion, uh, that's where they measure the height of it. Is that correct? Okay.
3: The height of the liner, lip above the block.
7: Okay. Detroit said that was good, so I guess it was one of the yep. other two yep. issues that but you see mentioned.
3: that play it's safe word. Oh, it's within uh-huh. spec or it's good. The spec, if it's on the low side of the spec, is way too low. You always want to set the line of protrusion one thousandth above their highest spec. So if the highest uh-huh. spec is five, you want to set it at six. Okay. All
7: right, well I'll go ahead and put the box back on it up. And the two weeks that I drove it, I was extremely happy with the performance of it. It it's, was a different engine pulling the hills. and uh,
3: mm-hmm.
7: so, so anyway, You, you keep I'd, the
3: RPMs up 15, 1600 when you're pulling the hills?
7: Yeah, I, I, I usually run uh, 1550 all the time. And then uh, when I hit a hill, I'll go ahead and bring it on up a little bit above that. So I've got the 18 speed with the 264s. So I'm
2: running it in 16 most of the time, which Absolutely. here lately I've been running. Yeah, Guys, just to put some of those numbers into perspective, because when somebody says they're getting six miles to the gallon, nobody gets really excited about that. But I've worked with a lot of car haulers over the years, and most of these guys are getting four and a half miles to the gallon. That, that's the norm. Almost every time a full open car hauler comes, we're getting about four now. Yep. And six is kind of really the upper end. Um, we haven't worked really extensively with you know the, the ways like maybe a Steve Crone would do, really pushing all the limits. But when we get them to six, even though that doesn't sound exciting, the, the, the numbers are incredibly impressive. When you go from four and a half to six, it reduces your fuel cost by 33%. If you go from eight to nine and a half, which is the same mile and a half per gallon improvement, you only reduce your fuel cost by 19%. It's the same improvement, but not in dollar spent. So when we get these car haulers up into that six range, um, and you heard him. He's got the power box. He's got the two sixty four gears. He's driving it right. We get up to six. It is incredible amounts of fuel savings for them.
1: Yeah, Did that's I lose impressive.
2: everybody? Nope, nope. I'm here now.
1: <laughs> We're here.
2: Yeah. So, so I mean, he's got a more drivable truck. He loves driving it in the hills. He's getting six miles to the gallon. Um, I, it's interesting. That we, we get guys like when we opened up our fuel mileage makeover program for the first time and we took all of our signups and I went through everybody's numbers. I, I had a moment of panic because everybody that signed up was already getting over eight miles to the gallon. I'm like, what am I going to do with these guys? You know, uh, so I thought it's interesting that the people already doing incredibly well. Are the ones willing to invest in a program to do even better, but they were challenging, which is good, you know. And, and we improved almost everybody. The goals we set for them, but I try to convince the guys who are way down at the bottom, the heavy haulers, the car haulers, um, the guys pulling containers. They're they're down in the you know fives and less, and the attitude down there is, why would I bother with fuel mileage? It's so bad and nothing I do works anyway. That's their attitude. And I try to convince them, you are the ones that should be doing anything to improve your fuel economy because your savings are almost double. The the dollar amount savings, if we can just get you a half mile per gallon when you're at four and a half, the savings are much bigger down there. And yet it's the opposite attitude. All the heavy haulers, why would I bother with fuel mileage? My rates are good. Nothing I do matters. And it's just the opposite. It's so much easier to work down there at the bottom and the results are so much better yet. It's hard to convince people of that.
3: I agree.
4: Yeah, definitely. So this, this is Kevin along the lines of the fuel mileage thing. Have you seen the challenge thing that a is doing? They've got their fuel mileage challenge. It's going to come to a, to a head, I guess they're going to do some sort of a, a meetup and track everybody, and uh, there are guys like Henry Albert are involved, and uh, the fellows from Sia Valley are going to do it, uh, and uh, there's an international dealer somewhere, I think, in Tennessee or Kentucky that I read about that does a lot of progressive stuff with fuel mileage, and they're uh, going to do a, do a deal, and they're all going to land at that uh, trucking show that's going to happen in Atlanta in September. I think it's the week after the CMC or the week before. Well, it looked you like know, it was really interesting. I don't know if you've seen anything on that or not.
2: It is really interesting. In fact, um, I, I'm not going to take full credit for it, but that whole thing was partly my idea. Um, right. I started working with Mike Roth at NACVI years ago on things, and, you know, they have it, – it's a great organization. They have big corporate sponsorship. Mike has done an excellent job over there. One of the things I love about them is they – they do really deep dives into one specific technology. They go out to fleets and they get they gather all kinds of numbers, stuff I haven't been able to do, you know, on a really big scale. But if you look at every one of their white papers on, on the technologies that they have absolutely proven that work, it's things we were talking about years ago. And I said, look, we've done the testing, they work. They've just really legitimized with big numbers, the, the wide singles, the six by twos, the aerodynamics, all the stuff we've been doing for years. And Mike and I got talking um, years ago about this idea of doing this challenge where, you know, we got all these trucks together. We tried to standardize as much as we could, you know, standardize the weights um You know, even if we could group trailers, you know if you 're pulling a fifty three foot smooth side van and and then do this you know as long as we could possibly stretch it out, do this run where everybody did the same thing, they fueled at the same places, and we could compare fuel mileage numbers and you know I love the idea we talked about it and and Mike went off and and actually worked on it um, ultimately, when it happened. Just because of stuff, politics and sponsors and all kinds of things. Um, they only wanted to open it up to new trucks. So, and, you know, my idea was, look, you, you have the fleets. They have all the new trucks. Absolutely. We want them involved. But how about all these guys that we've been working with for years? Steve Krohn uh, and Steve, you know, works a lot with NACV. And I said, why, why not let them be a part of this? And we can compare old technology against new. I mean, it's just more information. And it it turns out they, you know, they couldn't make it happen that way. So um, I had even talked about we would follow them in the coach and, you know, report back from the road every day on the show. Uh, So let me get to a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about that. We'll get to more of your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power with me, Bruce and John and Pete today. Um, you know, John, we even talked about when they first announced this. And again, I'm excited that, that Mike got this all pulled together and they're going to do it. I think it's an awesome event. We even talked about, even if we weren't officially a part of theirs, that we would run our own in parallel and let you know, these guys with some of these older trucks be a part of it. The problem we're running into this is we are just overwhelmed with projects right now that I can't possibly add one more thing. And theirs is going to wrap up right around the same time as the CMC. And there's just no way we could pull anything together, but you know, I'm hoping this one goes well. And if they were to continue this and do it again, maybe we can get them to, you know, open it up to, to individuals. And, and like you said, Henry's part of it, which is awesome. But I, I'd also like to see guys who have really put a lot of work into these older trucks, be able to show off their results as well. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to see Steve involved there. And we we talked about it. I was at the NAXI
4: con- conference with Steve this year and they, they had talked about this. And then, uh, like I said, I just read last week or the week before that they, they pulled it off. And do you see that, uh, Richard Branson's actually involved. He's one of the, one of the sponsors on it. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's it, interesting. Uh, it's good. It's good to bring it into the, uh, into the public eye. Um, you know, and I, I totally understand their philosophy on the new, new stuff. It, it makes sense. I mean, why not do it with things that are, uh, you know, where we really need to be pushing, you know, where they need to get the efficiency and run well and be clean on top of it. So it's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to that, and yeah, you know, so it's going to be more and more. But it's neat that they've got some you know high profile uh, support there too. I think that, I thought that was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, Mike's done done an excellent job of of pulling this together. So I'm excited to see it happen. Um, good stuff. Let's get back to some calls. Let's go to Texas. Sean, welcome to the program.
8: Hello, gentlemen. Hey, John, uh, do you have any more updates in regards to the electric drive axle that you're working
2: on? Oh, that's been put on
4: hold. We just haven't, I'll be honest with you, we haven't got the budget to, to go forward with that right now. Uh, you uh, know, we're, Paul, we're busy here. We're busy here I'm fixing trucks and working working on other stuff. And uh, the uh, the Dorothy project, the, uh, the, the soot separator kind of come to the forefront and is hogging up a whole bunch of my time right now uh, working on installation kits and such for that so uh yeah the the electric drive axle the the, the hybrid axle's is uh, something that I really really want to do, but uh we just haven't got funding in place to uh to do that um you know i've I've done a lot of lot of research on regenerative braking and things like I was just talking with Kevin about the how to keep the power wall charged and that power wall project could be a good first phase even if we don't couple it to a to an electric axle or have that uh, uh the generator that helps uh, keep it charged uh Putting power back to the road yet, but uh, there's definitely uh, potential there. Uh, you know, one of the things that excites me about that idea is that you know, we could work out some of the uh, initial, um, you know, technologies just just by you know having some sort of power source on the truck that keeps it going overnight, uh, and use the same thing to help us with our with our uh, electric axle.
8: That's going to follow up to my next question. I'm actually in the market to purchase a 19 model. Most likely, it's going to be a Freightliner Cascadia with a six x two. Um, and I, I want to do a six by just big, my operation is central Texas and I'm empty about mostly half the time. So in the future, I'd love to be able to upgrade it. You know, if you have that technology, but I also have another question in regards, I'm looking at the Freightliner, which I've had, I have one now, a 2010 in my lifetime on that one, 7.74 point flatbed. And I am also considering looking at a Volvo with a 11 liter, uh, with a direct drive with a lift axle. I know that's not your forte versus, like, the Freightliners, but do you guys have any knowledge or any thoughts about that motor?
4: I personally know nothing about that motor. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I have not uh, researched it at all. Uh, Kevin may know more than I.
2: Uh, if I do okay. know more than you, it's not enough to even mention. <laughs>
5: yeah,
8: I'm, 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 I'm leaning towards Freightliner just because I, I, I just know everything about my truck, and I have a great mechanic, but he also is a... Former Volvo mechanic, so it's, it's a, I'm torn between the two. I, I'm you know I run a, a very dedicated load, and I'm, like I said, I have our trailers that we pull are are um, they have lift axles. So when I'm empty, 40% of the time, you know with that set up, I can be two axles off the ground. Um, and when I'm loaded, I'm only 30,000 pounds. So I definitely wouldn't mind going all the way down to 11 liters. Um I know they they can handle the power. I know a few people that have them, but I just you know like I said, I I want to go beyond that. Uh, but I do have a question in regard to my current truck. I have an EBS issue. Uh, when I apply the brakes, um, I am not getting any power to my EBS on the brakes on my trailer. And I, I drop a hook, so it's, it's always a new trailer. Um, and I'm not getting power right at the pigtail on the back of the tractor, and I'm just trying to figure out where my problem may lay.
4: We, unfortunately, for the first time since I've done the show, do not have anyone from the electrical department on the show right now. So, okay. yeah, that's one that I, I really can't answer for you well. I feel like I'm letting you down here. Everything you've asked me, I've got <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got bad news for you. Hey, back onto the, uh the, the truck purchase thing. Consider Cascadia with the uh, – uh, well, they've got the, the low RPM, high torque DD15, but the DD13 is also an alternative if you're looking to go a little bit smaller on size. And if you get the six by two, it wouldn't be hard to convert that axle to a lift axle, I'm sure. Um, if someone doesn't I'm make concerned. something for that, yeah, I think you could. You know, it wouldn't be hard to, to, to lift that thing. Um, you right. know, I don't I don't think that would be a d- difficult task at all to to be able to convert that to a lift axle.
8: You would just need to tell the computer that you're just basically singling it out, so it doesn't um, freak out with the stability control. I'm assuming. Set up like that. Yeah,
4: you, yeah, there would definitely be some programming involved. Yeah, you just have to have it ignore yeah. that axle somehow. Yeah.
8: Yeah, they'll they'll do it with a 228 I've already. I'm actually starting to spec one out right now. They can't do a 216, which is what they're going to start pushing next month. Uh, but I can do it with a 228 direct. Um, with, with my setup, I think that would be a pretty good, I mean, I run about 55 most of the time, but but there's days where I got to run 70 if I have to deliver, I deliver seven loads a week and my average lane in the hall is only 300 miles. So there's days where I do one, some days I got to do two. So, but like I said, I, the biggest hill I climb is 3% grade. So it's pretty nice Well, gentlemen, once again, I appreciate it. Um, I will uh, be bugging you in the future about the electric drive axle.
2: (laughs) All right. Thanks. All right, let's head off to Oregon. James, welcome to the program.
9: Hi guys. Uh, yeah, I've got a twelve-seven uh, Detroit in my ninety-seven T two thousand here, and I've got everything Pittsburgh power, but the power box and the turbo wrap. And uh, I'm having some boost lack of boost. I'm only able to generate about thirty pounds, and uh, and it fluctuates a little bit. And I'm, not, I'm getting ready to – the reason I'm masking is because I'm getting ready to get into the overhead. The uh, the cam seal on the gearbox is leaking pretty bad. So we're going to be in there uh, taking everything apart, and I'm just kind of wondering maybe if it's uh, time to think about injectors or not.
6: Do you have any pyrometer heat issues as well? Pardon me? Is the pyrometer running hot on you?
9: Uh, no. No. Uh, it's in the pipe, so I'm assuming it's like 300 degrees higher than what my pyrometer is showing. And I can, I, no matter really how hard I work it, I can't even really get it to 1,200 degrees. Is your
3: probe oh, after the
9: turbo before it? Where's uh, the probe
3: in, at?
6: The probe where's is in the, the pipe. It, it's in the pipe behind the turbo. You don't want to go above a 1,000 there.
3: Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. even. I'm not even getting close to that. It's 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 always under 900 according to my gauge. Have we programmed your ECM? Uh, Ethan programmed it at a
5: 500. Okay. Well, lost him. Uh-oh.
3: Uh-oh. we lost Bruce, him. And We lost you.
0: Uh oh. Yeah, we're breaking up
9: there
3: a bit. Yeah, I'm in a rainstorm right now.
9: Yeah, there so you on, Ethan programmed yeah yeah Ethan program the ECM to 500, and I have the manifold and the turbo and uh, you know fast system. I have everything on there, and it's just like uh, you know one day I can really get after the throttle and make 31 and a half according to uh, my scan gauge. And but it's you, you know I, Ethan said I should be making 35 about. And so it's like, you know, you can tell if it's a strong thirty-one and a half or but I barely can get the 30. And then when I'm hard on the Jake going down hills, I'm lucky to make 50
6: pounds. You need to get a mechanical gauge in there to read what it's actually doing.
4: Yeah, the, uh, yeah. The, the, so that, that uh, scan gauge works off what they call the J1939 connection, which is a SAE protocol for, for information. And all that will ever show, that's about where it stops, 31.5 or something. It's, right. It won't read beyond that. Uh, right. So that's max. So That might be 33 or 34 or 35. You don't know. Uh, yes. Have you checked for a leak, though? Or are you sure you don't—you haven't got any uh, boost leaks right now? I'm pretty
9: confident in that, yeah. I have a, okay. a, a fairly new uh, Duralight charge air cooler, and, yeah, I'm pretty confident about the boost pressure leak. So this is the reason oh, I'm okay. asking.
6: I would still check it.
2: Yeah, I would too. Wheel test. Wheel yeah, it could be intake no. leaks at the turbo, but we're going to have to wrap this one up, though, because we're all out of time for this episode. We'll do it again. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This has been the Power Hour. Thanks to the guys at Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you next time. All right, we're going to start another episode. We're going to jump right into calls on this one, so we're going to get to as many questions as we can. Here we go.
0: Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry.
1: This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money
2: where it belongs.
1: Back in your pocket.
2: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power helping me out. We've got John and Pete with us right now. We're trying to get Bruce on the line. I think we're having some cell phone issues, but we'll try to get him in here with us. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electrical, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. We're going to get to uh, a bunch of your questions tonight. I want to bring John and Pete with us now. Hey, guys, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Good to see you. Or, or hey, good work uh, I should we, say. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What What do you say we, uh, you know, we never get to all the calls and questions, and you guys are so good at helping people. What do you think? We just jump right into them today. Sounds good. All right, let's do that. Let's uh, Let's get started today in Minnesota. John, welcome to the program.
10: Hi, Kevin. John. Uh, what do you suggest after a rebuild for your oil changes?
4: Oh, that's a loaded question there.
3: <laughs> right after or long term <laughs> or both?
10: Yeah, yeah. Right right after a whole rebuild. What do you suggest the intervals would be for your oil change? You wanna get that first oil change, what uh you looking at three thousand or
6: I can tell you what we recommend here, or what we tell our customers to do. Generally, we do a 1,000-mile oil change right up the bat. Everything seats in place. There's a lot of uh, dirt, debris, um, casting material that maybe you missed you know, when they're cleaning it. And now that doesn't mean pull over at 1,000 miles if it's 1,200, that's fine, but we like to get an early oil change. And then we also don't like Synthetic oil or any type of additive in there until the engines broken, which can be 40 or 50,000 miles
11: Okay
6: And that I know Cummins is pretty, Cummins is pretty strict what? about it. They don't want synthetic oil in there until it's broken Or it could void the warranty if you have a oil consumption related issue
10: Okay Thank you got very much for about help
2: You're welcome. Hey, yeah, you're welcome. Hey, John, I've got a question for you because I know how you and I feel about uh, synthetics. And if if you look at some of the best automotive engines in the world, um, as far as I know, they put synthetics in them right away because when you buy them, that's what they have in them. Um, What would – I understand – Why I wouldn't put synthetic in if I'm going to change it in a thousand miles, why would I bother wasting all that money? But what would be their logic behind claiming a a warranty issue because you decided to break one in on synthetic? Does it really create a problem? Well, one thing that's
6: uh, we're talking about the older engines as far as that goes, you know, as far as how we want them to change oil and. Yeah not using synthetic so that's the older stuff we're not talking the dd-15s well um or the newest ISXs, but the older stuff
4: the the philosophy i'd heard in the past and this this carried in you know some of my racing engine builders have done the same thing and recommended the same thing is the lubricity is actually too good uh you want to you need to scuff the rings the rings need to get friendly with the cylinder wall uh you know nothing's perfect at first and you know you've got high and low spots in the and the cylinder wall that you know are, aren't exactly perfect, and you've got rings that that are you know need to need it all needs to mate together. And the philosophy was that in that regard, I mean, there's nothing to do with the bearings that they don't need anything to break in. Uh, but, you know, we have roller cams now, so there's nothing there to break in. So it's uh so so it was all based upon that whole that whole philosophy was based upon the rings seating and becoming more friendly with the cylinder wall. And the higher lubricity of the synthetic oil just didn't allow that to happen. It was too good. So they'd like you to run for you know an initial initial oil change with the with the mineral oil, and that allows everything to to become more friendly there. With modern technology and modern machining processes, and this stuff is built like jewelry now, that has become unnecessary. Uh, the ring seal, from what I understand, of the modern engine anyway, at least from the factory. Uh, you know, keep in mind the series 60, we're still, you know, we're on 30 year old technology there. That's not like that's something. So when we were a thir- series 60. I'm sure there still is some seating to be done of the rings when we rebuild a cat. I'm sure there's still some seating to be done of the rings whenever you first, first run it. But, uh, like a modern DD 15 or something, that thing should be built to tolerances that need none of that. So it should work uh, you know, right out of the box. So that's uh, you know philosophy I hear with the modern engines that, that don't need it anymore. But that still hangs around. A lot of people believe in that, and you know I can't say that I don't completely. I know some of the older technology and some of the older machining processes require the things to become friendly. But the, the, you know the modern engines are just so accurate and the stuff is so well built that it shouldn't should not be
2: an issue. Got it. Well, that all makes sense. Let's uh, let's head off to Pennsylvania. Dave, welcome to the program.
0: Hey, uh, I had called last week uh, with a possible injector issue where I was adding that diesel clean. Do you remember that call?
4: I remember, yeah. When I talked to you afterwards, and I told you to, to uh, run that uh, run run a tank with uh, nothing in it and get it here uh, cle- clean of any of that stuff so we could do a little testing when you got here.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to be there tomorrow morning uh, as long as I don't miss my point in here uh, for delivery. The Hi shut down in Pennsylvania, but uh, I got two more tanks. Uh, when I went through West Virginia, I got 7.3, and the last tank was the one where I didn't add any, and it was 7.91, and I'll have one more tank that I'll fill up, I should fill up before I get there with uh, with regular diesel, right? This way it's completely right. flushed?
4: Okay, yes, yeah, so so it's completely flushed, do. and then, so what um, I'd, so I'd like so to do here. is dy- dyno it, we should dyno it, and then... Uh, Put the put the additive in, and you go take it for a ride, just so we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on the dyno getting it all mixed up, and then come back. And we'll put on the dyno again, and uh, see if we see anything.
0: Well, here, here's my question. Uh, I found out that uh, so it was on the the, uh, the 14th when I backfired, and uh, apparently I, I missed this the uh, what do you call it the, uh, the clamp on the back of the turbo uh, must have got blown off when it backfired uh, to that S pipe that comes off that Series 60. Would that being disconnected and leaking some exhaust, that increase fuel economy? That
6: would reduce some
4: back pressure. It could, yeah. yep.
0: Okay. All right. So I, I, I ran two weeks like that. I don't know if that made a big difference or not. But uh, um, all right. So I guess I'll be seeing you guys tomorrow.
4: All right.
2: We'll, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. All right, let's head off to Illinois this time. Daniel, welcome to the program.
12: How are you fellas doing today? Doing good.
2: Good. Well,
12: a uh, couple questions. One, uh, the other episode hearing about the VGT Turbo for the twelve-seven Detroit. I'm kind of giddy about that, so I'm going to have to call you all later and find out more about that because it's kind of exciting. Um, I put a, at uh, the 38,000 mark, I put a uh, Eco pier filter on with a 10-inch long filter. When they, uh, at the same time that they dropped the oil out, at the same time that they removed the front cover to replace the rear timing gear uh, cover, because it was broken uh, from the get-go, the uh, truck now has 55,000 miles on it, and when I actually got to change it the other day, um, it was uh, leaking out the top of the filter, and I'm just kind of curious why that would do that within 15,000 on a filter that's ready to go 25,000, and why would it be seemingly cold at the bottom of the filter and warm at the top when the and the heater seems to be on a lot so.
4: On the EcoPure. Yes. Interesting. So that's so. Where is the where is the leak coming from? Is it coming from the uh, the rolled uh, it, it, filter, or is it coming right from it the almost, gasket surface? It
12: appeared to be coming from where the gasket mates up with the bottom of the thing. There, almost like it didn't get a great seal, and it just kind of it, it it mimicked as if it got full and then just started coming out the top.
4: Hmm. Well, uh, pull that pull that filter off and take a look to make sure that casting is not uh, damaged somehow, or there's not a scratch or a dent or, or something in there, or maybe an imperfection that made its way through. Uh, a
6: bit of debris
4: through quality control or some debris. Yeah, I might have had a piece of debris on the gasket when the when the thing was spun onto there. So take a look okay. at that well, for sure.
6: I'll, yeah,
12: I'll have to uh, monitor on this next filter because I just put the new filter on um, about 500 miles ago. So.
4: Um, yeah, keep an eye on that. We've not had any problems. Uh, we haven't seen any issues with uh, with those. Yeah. Uh, you know, any issues Evening. we've seen have been self-induced or installation problems. I think we've had uh, someone over-tightened a uh, fitting into one and actually cracked the aluminum housing by putting a taper fitting a little too far. But aside from that, um, I've not seen a failure at all. So.
12: Okay. Yeah, it's it's on a. Uh, oh, I hear the music. Uh, got
2: another question if we got time later okay all right let me get to a break we will be right back with more stuff stick around i'm kevin rutherford this is the power hour we'll be right back back i'm kevin rothford this is the power hour i've got john and pete with me from pittsburgh power looks like we did get bruce he's back in the uh the cell phone coverage again bruce welcome back well thank you all right and we're going to get right back to the calls we were talking with daniel in illinois he had another question daniel go ahead
12: uh well the something i didn't when we talked about the filter being warm at the top the heater stays to, seems to stay on all the time, and the, so the top part of the filter would be nice and warm. But when I get my hand towards the bottom of the filter, that would just, it always just always seems to be cool. Is there is that like normal or I don't, I don't think think
2: see it. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything unusual there. The heater we, we want it on. I mean, it, it's there to to get the liquid contaminants out. And remember, we're only filtering about a gallon of oil an hour. It's moving through that filter slow. That filter material is dense, okay. and you know, if you've got heat and you've got heat at the top, we know we have oil flow. Uh, it's not that unusual for a ten-inch filter to be cool at cooler at the bottom. Okay, I
12: just—it's the first bypass, first pretty much everything for yeah. me, and. I went as so far to actually design a bracket to bolt to the frame so that it had like 10 million miles worth of stability and never to have an issue um,
2: just because I wanted it overkill. Yeah, So well, good. That'll, that'll work. I, I don't think there's any problem. That leak, um, like John and Pete said, probably an imperfection or some dirt. If it does it again on this one, uh, pull it off and take a look at the, the – the mating surface itself and see what you see let's uh let's go to minnesota jim welcome to the program
10: hey, thank you john exactly the criteria for today that i'm l- looking to pull a trigger to buy in a glider john knows me pretty much personally i got a 04 classic i'm trying to upgrade looking at getting a fitzgerald glider of 14 or 15 but my one on Research now—is there any difference in a ten-speed with a three forty-two, or would you rather have a thirteen or eighteen-speed? You know, what's kind of the optimum thing pulling flatbed throughout the Midwest? Uh,
3: I I like the thirteen and the eighteen-speed because I think to drive efficiently, you need to be able to split the gear. The only way you can drive a ten-speed efficiently is when you're the only one on the road, because you can never be at the precise RPM if you can't split a gear. So go with a 13 or an 18 speed. Okay.
2: I, I agree with that except I, I in your operation, flatbed 80,000 pounds and under and in the Midwest, I, I tend to think that the 18 speed is just overkill. Um, heavier, more expensive, a little more complicated. You're never going to split the bottom gears in, in your operation. But I'm with Bruce right. on being able to split the top. So I, I think the sweet spot for you really is that 13-speed.
10: So if the 13 speeds just ain't available, I'm not seeing a bunch of them, especially at this dealer, an 18-speed, the only other thing it had to draw back, it had 24.5 tires on
2: it. And that's so easy to natives. change. So, yeah. Um, I, I'd much rather have the 18 than the 10. Given given all okay. that, so if I'm out looking right. for a truck and I find the truck that I really like and it's got an 18 speed, I'm not going to pass it up.
10: Because the only awesome thing to attend is it supposedly had a brand new rebuilt engine at 400 thousand miles and a year's worth warranty, where the other one had about 80 thousand
2: miles more. And yes, it was about eight grand cheaper.
7: So you know, some people may look at that.
2: Pick engine. Some people may look at that as an advantage. It makes me worried. Why was the engine rebuilt at four hundred thousand? I'm with you. Yep. Yeah. So to me, that that's really not an advantage. I I wonder. You know, was the was problem with the block? Was it rebuilt poorly, and we still have some of that left in there? Was it you know just not taken care of that bad? So when I see an engine rebuilt really early. (laughs) I just stay away from them. I don't, I don't want any part of that. Okay. All right.
10: Well, that's good to know.
2: <laughs>
10: yeah. Okay. It's part of it. Excuse
4: me. I um, I mean unless you know the reason it was rebuilt if there was a specific failure that had been addressed then you know maybe it's nothing to worry about.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it always just worries me. You know, we 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 see that a lot. To say, you know, boy, I got a great deal on this truck. It got it was rebuilt at six hundred thousand miles, and I think it just scares me. I mean, was the truck just taken care of that bad, driven that hard? You know, it, we all know about um, you know the trucks built on Friday or that whole story. But I, along those lines, I did know a guy whose job was he sold. Um, the, the machining tools to big manufacturers. And he would tell me the difference between when that tool was new compared to the last run before they replaced it. And, and the difference was pretty significant. And you wonder, you know, is it really true about a truck being built on a Monday or whatever day? I don't know if that has much to do with it, but I think when you start talking about a truck that was built with all new tooling, or one that was built on the last run, um, I think there can be differences. Oh, absolutely. Don Mike. Yep. Okay,
4: good. You're, at, you're, I was you're, gonna ask you're absolutely correct there, yeah. No, I've got a friend who's got a big CNC machine shop, and yeah, there, there's a difference, uh, you know, from, from beginning to end on the tooling for sure.
2: Yeah, all right, let's, uh, let's see who's next. We're going to head off to Wyoming. Steve, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Kevin. How's it going today?
2: Good. What's on your mind?
1: Hello. Oh, okay. Uh, 956,000 on the truck right now. Uh, my last uh, oil filter change, we put 24,000 on the oil before we changed all the filters. We used two gallons in that 24,000. So I'm waiting on my oil sample. I'll probably call this weekend with the oil sample. But I'm pretty confident about the motor. The transmission, on the other hand, it's the number three spot and the 10 and 11. It's coming out of gear. Uh, The synchronizers are failing. And... uh, I'm wondering, I want to put another 13-speed in. I'm just wondering, should I go with a 13 double or a 13 single? Chris at T&E told me he could get anything I want.
3: What transmission do you have now?
1: I've got the nine converted to 13.
3: Okay, and what rear gears do you have?
1: 358. Now, I plan to drop down to either a 279 or a 264 and run it in direct
2: most of the time. if You, you know, my choice here, if I can pick, I, I think the most practical transmission on the market for, for the average operation like yours is the 13-speed single overdrive match to a direct-drive gear, 279, 264. You run it in 12 you have 13th as a true overdrive and and we're not really wasting a gear the way we do with the double the thing right. is you can't go to the single overdrive without changing the gears
1: okay, okay.
2: because the the final the, the wait a minute maybe you can you're, oh yeah, you can. Hold you, on. No, you're yeah, you can. Your your final gear should still be a point seven three or seven four. It's just that twelfth no, is no. direct. Right, bro? No. It won't no. be, Kevin. It'll be a point eight okay. okay. so yeah. like so so five.
3: Okay.
1: Right? So would it be like hmm.
3: me
2: running in twelfth gear why, now? Why am I confused no. about this?
3: No, because a single over the final drive is .85. Used okay. to be .87. Now .85.
2: Huh? 30. Well,
3: so he has that's to, right. He has oh. to if he's going to the single over thirty. He either drives real slow until he gets the rear change, or he changes the rear gears.
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah, real that's close right. What?
3: Sixty.
2: <laughs> Fifty-five.
1: 55, whoa, you know Lorraine, are not
4: going to run 55. Just do the whole project at once is what you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, I didn't uh, – yeah. that's not really what I wanted to hear, but uh, I, I'm okay. Now, ever since I've got my ECM tuned up, this thing, I, everyone I tell, it's the best money I ever spent. I mean, I swear. and The fuel mileage went up the power went up and i'm telling these guys and they don't listen why why don't they listen (laughs) are they just used to hearing trucker stories or something i mean the numbers are there eight eight tenths
2: hold hold that thought because i i definitely yeah i definitely have an opinion about that and we'll talk about that right after we get back stick around We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutsford. This is the Power Hour. We've got more stuff. Don't go away. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Pete with me from Pittsburgh Power. I think we still have Bruce. Did we lose Bruce? I'm going to look around find him on the board somewhere here. We might have lost him again. Um, okay. I, I'm going to make a comment on, on what Steve said, and I'm going to bring back in here as well. Um, Steve, as far as we, we might have lost Steve too. I think everybody just dropped off the, uh, off the face. <laughs> yeah, I can't find anybody. So um, I, I'm going to make a comment. I don't know why people don't listen because I've been doing this stuff for a very long time. Looks like we're getting Bruce back. I'll bring him in here in a second. Um, and the only thing I know is I don't try to talk to people who don't want to listen. I, I don't give advice to people until they ask for it. Uh, because if they ask for it, at least they might be open. doesn't mean they are, but they might be. If they haven't asked, it's just not even worth trying. Um, but I want to address what he said about the tuning on that engine. Um, John, I'm sure we've talked about this, but I bought my first Series 60 back in 1990, and I have owned a bunch of those. My favorite engine, I had the 11 liter. I loved that one. I have done everything you can do to a series 60, um, for fuel economy, for, for everything. I I know that engine well, um, will say that when I had the last one I had in that 99 Volvo and I had you guys do the tuning, nothing else even comes close. There is nothing you can do to that engine that has the effect, uh, of your tune. It was amazing, the drivability, the power, the fuel economy. Uh, there isn't any three other things you can do to that engine that make as much of an improvement, in my opinion.
4: Uh, I agree. And we constantly work on it, too. So, you know, your your 99 Volvo, however long ago that was, that, that was before my time you had that through here. We've gotten better, and there are so many parameters even on that on that series sixty where you know we move the timing curve a little bit, we move the the fuel curve a little bit, we change the way the pedal reacts there there's so many parameters we could work with uh and we constantly improve it uh we do have ones you know a couple that we're really happy with our our basic five hundred horse to the ground uh detroit series sixty tune is terrific uh you know we're we're always rubbing on it a little bit, but that one's gotten to a point where it's just really, really really good. But we, there are so many so many combinations of all those parameters that, you know, we, we're forever working on it, and it just gets better and better and better. Uh, so you're absolutely right. It, uh, it, it's, I'm really proud of the work that we do in that department.
2: It is unbelievable, and that comes from somebody, like I said, with a lot of experience with that engine and trying everything that's been available. The only other thing I could say now that I haven't tried is your your VG Turbo on it, which I'd love to drive one. But hands down, I was, it, it is a new engine. It, 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 if you put me, if, if you would have taken me out of the 99 Volvo, tuned it, and then put me back in it, not told me what engine was in it, I wouldn't know. It's that different <laughs> when you get back. To the
4: well, it, again, in that PG project, that's all about tuning also, because now we can use the ECM to control how and when it makes boost, which is really all that boils yeah. down to. Yeah. So, you know, the, the factory the factory used the VG as a shortcut way to simply generate more uh, back pressure for the EGR systems. They're having trouble feeding the intake with EGR, so they had to keep the back pressure considerably higher than the boost pressure. So they use the VG just to do that. But when we put it on an older non-EGR engine and we get to, to control the boost, use it simply to control the boost, it's a whole other world.
2: Yeah, well, I, I would love to try that. Because, like I said, the the tune on that engine is just incredible. If you are thinking about doing anything to a Series sixty, make that number one on the list. Because, like I said, there aren't there aren't any three other things you could do that that are as effective. I agree. Let's good. Let's go to uh, California. Al, welcome to the program.
11: Uh, thanks for taking my call. I've got a twenty fourteen. T680 with the ISX just had it four months. It's Got 350 thousand on it. Um, the check engine engine D rate light like, has come on uh, for the past couple of months. I've taken it three times to a Kenworth Theater. First time it was a booster at the DPF. They replaced it. Second time it showed that. Um, all three times it showed that the DPF filter was was clogged up. Three times they inspected it. And it was clean because I bought it at Kenworthy, and they did service it before I got it. So um, I've got my deposit on Dorothy, and I just spoke with you yesterday, John. This is Al from Southern California. Yep. Yep. So how about the seventeenth of uh, July? You think I you can I can head down that way? Uh, I'm going to take next week off, and then and then it'll take me about a week to get out there, and around the seventeenth that week of July of that July, can you? Can you get me in and take care of my problemos here?
4: Yeah, definitely. Let's do the full uh, – we'll do the full after-treatment maintenance on it where we go through all the sensors and all the wiring and, and all the plumbing that has anything to do with the uh, EGR and after-treatment system, and uh, we'll, we'll solve these issues. And, uh, yeah, we'll get the Dorothy installed then too, no problem. So I had a uh, – I sent Kevin a picture uh, it was a, that that came from a T680 also with the Cummins ISX in it that's had the uh, the Dorothy on it for just about 10,000 miles. The fella cleaned it out for me and put everything in a bag and gave it to me. I was I was amazed. Uh, that one actually caught more than Tads or any of the others that we've seen. So it uh, so it must be some pretty dirty stuff coming out of the exhaust on the Cummins on the way back into the intake.
11: Okay how so, about do you have any of the uh of the guys with Dorothy, with uh, similar motor with the ISX that with high horsepower after you're because this is at 4 so 400 uh factory and then it's got 475 on there now it was a slip truck i think they they bumped it up to 475 or, and so is there any i wanted to get a you know more horsepower because i'm up i'm 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 up in Oregon all the time so i need
4: some i need some power yeah, the one that was in today has got one of our tunes on it. He's doing, I think, about 550 to the ground and 17 or 1,800 on the torque. Uh, maybe a little higher, actually. Lons is, I forget where Lons, truck, where, where Lons came oh, out. Uh, maybe it was closer to 600 and 1,900, I think. But, uh, yeah, this particular truck has got the tune on it also.
11: Oh, okay, yeah, because that's why I'm going to get that. Well, first, the problem first, get the authority, and then get the tune. Exactly. You got it. Definitely yeah. want to get it done. Okay, all right, so what I'll do is after the show, I'll call your shop and, and jot me down my name there
4: for the 17th Yeah, call the shop. If you don't get me, any of the salesmen can put you on schedule. That's that's no problem at all. Okay. All but right. 17th will be thanks. perfect. I've got uh, I've got four or five of them on the bench, and one of them's the example that's going to be going to our uh, our manufacturer is going to be building them for us. So uh, full production will be going soon, but we're uh, getting them knocked out by hand right now. Actually, I've got uh, quite a few that uh, that we're doing on our own right now.
2: All right, super. I'll drink to that. <laughs> okay. well, we'll see you on the seventeenth All right John. I've got a question because that picture was incredible. how much soot came out of there in ten thousand miles with that without Dorothy, where would that soot be? Some of it may continue to circulate
4: around or it'll build up on the inside of the intake or on the intake valves or in the ringlands and in the oil and y- you name it um. Unfortunately, on that installation, and and I've got some more research to do. The the T680 T700s uh, have the cab set pretty or the engine set pretty far into the cab, and I have got to mount the uh, got to mount the Dorothy out on the intake. So unfortunately, we're not protecting the EGR valve and the delta P sensor, which I'd like to do. And some of the trucks we can't do it. So. Uh, but there's not room on on that particular chassis to mount it before those two sensors or before those two devices, so you know it still works. It still keeps it out of the engine. It's still very effective. Um, it's a little less expensive to mount. Uh, the, the installation kit for that is really simple, easy to easy to install. So that's uh, that's not too bad. But yeah, that would be a, that you, you know where that goes. That was all going into the engine. We just we just trapped it. Uh, you know, I'm not wow. claiming to get it all. Uh, I'm sure that there's there's still plenty making its way in there. It'd be nice to do that and maybe. Uh, future revisions or versions, or we could go to some sort of active filtration on it. Uh, Right now, my my main goal was to to catch what we can uh, passively without the potential of causing any check engine lights or reducing flow or or upsetting the emission system in any way, shape, or form. And uh, I think we've accomplished it. So if that's, you know, that's probably somewhere between 30 and 60% of the soot, I think, that would have gone into the engine.
2: Yeah. Wow, it was incredible to see the amount in such a short period of time. Let's uh, let's head off to Tennessee. Ben, welcome to the program.
13: How you doing? I've got a no one uh, six in Z thirteen speed three twenty five rears and uh, two fifty five seventy twenty two five car hauler around the southeast. Pretty much ninety nine percent of the time. Um, if I need to go with uh, faster rear ends. What would you go with? <laughs>
2: Oh, hold that thought. Let me uh, let me get to a break. We will come right back, and we'll talk about that right after this break. Stick around. This is the Power Hour. We'll be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We are talking with Ben in Tennessee. Hey, John, did you get all that? I was. Uh, we're having weird technology issues today. We've lost Bruce about 20 times already on the show. It's either solar flares or the Russians are trying to hack into my show, so I didn't get all that. It's an EMP. Watch it. That's
4: right. <laughs> Okay, you're getting the aluminum foil hats out again. So yeah, uh, yeah. So on that, so my concern with the, you know, with the 264s and the 279s in these cases is backing the thing up. If you don't have an 18 speed with that low reverse, sometimes it is an issue with that. So that's that's the only uh, my only concern with uh, with a car hauler. He probably doesn't have to back up to docks very often, but
6: just uh, in really. small lots. Yeah. If you're back into a small auto tight right. spot, it, it's tricky. Yeah. Okay. Uh
13: 379 being uh, be any better or is it not worth putting the money into
4: well, what's in there right what now? What I have.
13: Three twenty five.
4: Three twenty five. Ooh. Yeah, I think um yeah well, Kevin yeah, you still I, have I all think these that numbers, numbers in seven, your head. Nine, that's
2: a, that's what yeah, I, buy. I think it's 79s are fine i mean i've driven them enough that that the backing issue isn't that difficult I, i'll tell you the combination that's a little tricky still doesn't bother me um is the high speed gear light and i've had 264s with the light clutch it grabs a little quicker in a good way um but it does make this just a little bit trickier but still not a problem i mean i i you know it, it can become a problem if you're really heavy and you're trying to back up a dock. Uh, it's a little hard on the clutch, but with a car hauler, I just don't think you're going to uh, see that much of an issue. It's not something that goes high on my list for fuel economy because of the cost and the return. Uh, it's something that I would absolutely recommend when you've got to replace gears anyway, or well, that's one of those I'm
13: looking th- at it out. They have 1.4, 1.3, 1.4 on the original rear, so they're about to give them any time. Uh, hopefully not so soon, but when they do. yeah. Uh,
2: For me, when yeah. it's time to replace the gears, it, it's almost always on the list. I like going to that direct drive. There's so many advantages to it going forward that I'll put up with the little bit of downside going backwards. Like I said, I've had guys call me, and they're heavy all the time. They've got some tough docks. you, you got to think about it a little bit then, uh, but I think in your case, if you've got to replace the gears, I'd be looking at it. And uh, the 279s would be a better choice for you. How fast oh, do you I, drive most? time? 67, 68. I'm doing about
13: 1500 RPMs and about Fourteen to fifteen pounds
2: of boost um on flat ground. Oh, I was I was trying to figure out why the RPMs are so high. You have the two fifty five wheels, don't you? The tires. Yes. Yep. Yeah. All yeah, the hard. car haulers have those, yep. Yeah, you've got the really small tires. So I'm gonna adjust that then. I'm glad I asked. Um I would do the two sixty fours instead.
13: Oh really? Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we do need uh, a a little bit more with those really small tires. So, uh, yeah, but I think you'll be happy with that. Let's go to Kansas. Ricky, welcome to the program.
14: Thank you for taking my call. I've got a uh, B-model 3406 Cat, a brand-new motor from Cat. And I just did the first oil change. Uh, It was getting close to 12,000 miles before I did it. Um, And the copper uh, on the uh, oil report, uh, and I'm not real familiar with oil samples, so maybe you guys can help me figure this out. Um, Looks like it says uh, 258 on one, and there's three different sample ID numbers and then the the other two are really really low, like a four We're and there. a five.
2: Which lab did you send the sample into?
14: It was done at a uh, the oil change uh, company around the country, right on site.
2: Uh, oh, forget it then. I, I I I and I don't mean to be a jerk about this, but I won't. No, even no. Well.
6: Yeah, well, and that's what I'm wondering.
2: Right. Here's the problem. If I look at something and there's a problem and I tell you to go check it out, you could be spending money chasing something that doesn't exist. And if there's no problem and I tell you you're fine, we could be ignoring a problem that exists. So I, I choose just not even to comment on those bench and not just that company any benchtop oil sample there's too many problems with them for me to trust the data now i'll tell you if you get another sample and you have high copper which 268 parts per million is really high copper but there's no lead we don't have any concern it, it, copper the the copper we're worried about is the bearings but you have to get through the lead first copper on its own right. i've seen. Crazy. I mean, incredible numbers. Six, 700. All it is is normally just copper leaching out of the oil cooler, and there doesn't even have to be a problem in the oil cooler for it to happen. We can have a completely well, a oil.
6: functioning oil
2: cooler, and for some reason, out of the blue, the, the copper just leaches out of them.
6: Especially on a new one. Ken, well, see it, that a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
14: yeah exactly. So, I, I mean, how do I get set up with your uh, oil sample stuff there, Kevin? Or I mean, Real simple. Either call
2: us or, or go to the – you can order it right on the website yourself. You can call us. We send the kit out. It has everything in it, the, the mailer to send it all back. And then we know we've got absolute, drop dead accurate information. And I have access to look at it here when we're on the air so we can go over the numbers. Um but, it, but again, copper on its own, really never a problem. Occasionally, it will indicate that an oil cooler has failed, uh, which is nice to know, but it doesn't necessarily mean it. But if we didn't see lead before the copper, we don't worry about bearings.
14: Okay, well, the the, the lead is like low numbers in, on this. Yep. So it could be contamination from a prior read on somebody else's stuff possibly who knows right
2: yeah you know the the equipment isn't cleaned properly it's not all that accurate to begin with i mean when when you look at the full service labs like polaris they've got a million dollars worth of equipment and they have very highly trained people that all they do all day long are oil samples you're looking at you know a, a lower end mechanic um operating a machine that isn't all that expensive or sensitive to begin with. And we never know what the procedures are I, to me. They're, they're right. just not even worth it. Yeah.
14: And, and how, how does one like uh, pull the sample? Uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting your kits and stuff, how do I pull the sample? What do you, what's the procedure there?
2: Yeah, if you don't have an an Eco-Pure, the Eco-Pure's got the button right on it. It's drop-dead simple. You use a vampire tube, a a plastic tube, and you just stick your thumb over the tube, stick it down the oil filler, pull out some, drop it into the bottle.
14: Okay. All right, very good. Well, the the motor seems to be running fine. It's staying cool and happy other than uh, ever since I put a parameter gauge on this, uh, any, any loads at all, it wants to climb up to, uh, 1,100, pretty easy. And now I, this is an old mechanical cat and, uh, I do run additive in there to help lubricate the old style motor. The diesel uh, fuel clean is additive. what I've been using.
2: Fuel additive?
14: Yes, I run diesel clean in it. Okay. I'll let the silver
2: uh, bottle. I'll let Pete and John uh, address the uh, temp. I I will say on this engine, I mean, I I believe there isn't an engine in a truck we shouldn't be oil sampling on a regular basis, but especially a mechanical engine. They're much more prone to fuel dilution, and it's really good to keep an eye on that with sampling. John, Pete, anything on that temp
6: issue? Eleven yeah, hundred is pretty hot. So I would check for a boost leak, even verify that the pyrometer's correct. Is it, you know, if the truck was here, that's what we would do first. Okay. Maybe the wastegate's stuck open. Make sure the wastegate's functioning properly. That can affect it. There's a couple. Of, those are easy tests to do
2: check for Boosley all right right. I'm going to have to cut everybody off because the music just started we're not going to have time to get into that any deeper I would give those guys a call over there Um, get a good oil sample done on this and we'll read it for you here on the air I want to thank uh, John and Pete for helping me out today and we will see you next time this is the Power Hour. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health.